Hey everyone, it is Robert, here to do the podcast this week, and we are going to be talking about John 14, 6. A lot of you are very familiar with that scripture, and uh, will probably know it by heart before I even read it. But before we do that, I want to set the stage for where we're at and while we're getting to this in the in the book of John. Um, most of you probably have seen and know the read your scripture, and you know the stage that we're going to set here. So we're going to back up just a little bit. Uh, to the beginning of the week before Jesus has this uh, discussion that it takes place at, again at John 14, 6 and John 14, period, the whole, whole chapter. But <clears throat> so what, uh, what we're looking at is we know that Passover week has started. And at the beginning of that week, the, uh, we all know that there was the entry into Jerusalem where Jesus was riding on the back of the donkey and the palm leaves and, uh, you know, he was, he was praised and worshiped, uh, as God as they had, as he came into Jerusalem. The people stood on the side of the road and just, you know, uh, praised, praised Jesus as the coming Messiah. Um, and of course that doesn't last very long, but what that actually signifies, if you look back in Old Testament times and, and, uh, mom, Helen Smith has discussed this several times on the podcast. Uh, one of the things that uh, is happening here is a, uh, the, uh, truth is now realized from the foreshadowing that was told in the Old Testament. The foreshadowing was was that a lamb, when it came time for Passover, the family would bring a per, a lamb that they saw as a perfect lamb into the household, and it would spend the week with them before the Passover meal. Uh, and what that what the significance of that was was that they would take their time to make sure that there were no blemishes, no marks, and that it was a perfect sacrifice because that that sacrifice was there. Uh, atoning for their sin for the year. So they had to be sure that this was, uh, the perfect sacrifice, that when they did this to, to God, it was one of those, it was, it was a perfect sacrifice. So they bring the lamb in and he would spend the week with them. And then of course on, uh, the Passover meal, he would be sacrificed. So this is what's happening when Jesus says it's this triumphal entry. He comes into Jerusalem to spend the week. And he does that. He, we can see it through scripture where he t- sits and talks. He goes to the temple every day and they get to examine him. They ask him questions. He spends this time just not debating, but basically setting up. This is, and you're going to, you're going to really like this because it's going to come up later, who I am. And he does, he does this in front of everybody. This is not a secret. He doesn't go do it behind closed doors uh, with just his disciples or those who follow him. This is him standing in front of the, the people uh, of uh, Israel of the in Jerusalem and saying, I am God and I am here as the sacrifice. Now, again, at that time, they did not truly understand what he, what was happening, but uh, the foreshadowing in the Old Testament of what's what's occurring here when God set up the Passover meal, uh, then there's uh, you can go back and read all that. Okay, so the stage is kind of set. Now what's happened is uh, Passover week has come to the point of having the dinner, uh, and he brings the disciples into a place that they had uh, rented. So they're all sitting around the table. This meal is going to take the... He's, oh, oh yeah. And when they came into the room, Jesus did the, the thing, the servant. He, he also showed not only was he the, going to be the Passover sacrifice, but he was also the servant that had the servant's heart. Because what they do is as the disciples came in, Jesus sat them down. He put his robe around his waist and he knelt down in front of them with water and cleaned their feet. So that has happened just before 
Jesus says this. Um, it, 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 the significance of that is not lost on us as we're seeing the servant, uh, servant God stand before his uh, people. And he's, he's washing their feet to cleanse their, their feet, sure, for the meal. But it has, uh, of course, more to do than that. Uh, it's not just about cleansing the feet. It's about, uh, you know, him serving and showing that he's, uh, he's not above being the servant God that he is and that God has, uh, set him for that. So we, we, you know, we go through the, uh, washing of the feet. Uh, Jesus, of course, predicts his betrayal from both Peter and Judas. And now we get to a point where in chapter 14, right? Um, we, we step right into 14 and he's trying to comfort his disciples. And it's interesting that I find that he says, I am so many times in these first few verses up until you get to six. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's telling them, he's comforting them. He even says, let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And you know the way where I am going. And of course, there's good old Thomas, the twin, uh, who says, uh, hey, Lord, you know what? We don't really know where you're going or how to get there or anything like that. So now you got the background. That's the stage is set. We've, we've had this coming up to this scripture. And I will tell you that, um, I've always read the scripture like everybody else. And it, uh, but in reality, it does not read the way that we're all used to seeing it. Um, <clears throat> We were in church a few weeks ago, and our pastor read this scripture. I actually quoted it. I don't know that he read it, but he quoted it. And when he quoted it, it was so different from uh, my thinking that I could tell God piqued my interest uh, and said, "Hey, you need to listen to this." And then, uh, which led me to, of course, today, where we're going to uh, read the scripture. So we're at. I just read one through five. So we know that Thomas has now said, "Okay, God, what are you talking, uh, Jesus? What are you talking about? We don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there." So after all this, Jesus says to back to Thomas. He's speaking to Thomas when he says this. Uh, Jesus said to him, "I am the way." and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice that he ends this this sentence with, I am and me. But the significance of the words I am are not lost. You saw at the beginning of 14, he actually used I am several times in that. uh, I don't know that it was... um, since he was talking to his disciples, he wasn't really trying to prove something. But earlier on in another confrontation with some uh, Sadducees, Pharisees, whichever one it was, he used that I am uh, as a frame of reference to himself. And they just went berserk, basically, I because they knew the significance of what that was. When God spoke to Moses, and remember, this is where the, the, the Jews at the time, they placed all their beliefs on the law that Moses brought down off the Mount Sinai. So whatever God said to Moses is what they stood by, not really understanding the spirit of God, but understanding the law of God. Uh, 
they looked at it and said, I am, when, when God spoke to Moses, he said, I am who I am. And of course, Moses was like, okay, well, that's not really going to convince him. What, what are you talking, what, how can I, what, what do you want me to say? And this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Exodus 3.14 is where that comes from. Uh, looking that up, it's interesting that the words I am um, have a reference in uh, Hebrew to Yahweh. Uh, it goes back to the, I believe the root is the same, uh, same kind of terminology uh, as Yahweh. So here God is telling Moses, Yahweh has sent me. Uh, of course, no reference lost on the, those of the day. They understood completely who it was. So Jesus is standing here in front of Thomas. And again, there's no, he's not proving himself to anyone, but I believe that his words are intentional as always. When Jesus says, okay, I'm going <clears> to <throat> back up for a second. What, the, what I just read you earlier for John 14, 6 was the New American Standard. So now let's think about the idea in the original language because the original language has a different um, more direct tone to it. And I'm going to, I'm going to read it with that idea. Um, Jesus said to him, speaking to Thomas, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So let's take this as it looks. And I don't know if you thought of it this way before. If you haven't, hopefully I'll give you a new direction to kind of think this through. Is that when Jesus is what Jesus is saying here, and where he's leading Thomas is he's just told the disciples that don't be troubled. Guess what? I'm going before you to set up a mansion. And in that mansion, you're going to come live with me. And later on, and when we get into John 14, later in 14 and 15, you, you hear Jesus talking about setting up the house and uh, you know, the Father being in Him and Him being in the Father and us being in Him. Uh, and it's, uh, it's pretty, again, very direct. It sounds convoluted, but it's really not. It's just Jesus saying, hey, we are we. <laughs> Excuse me, not we are we. That's not real. That sounds like we, we. That's for terrible, Missy. Why are you letting me say that? Oh, she's not here to stop me. That's why. Uh, so anyway, going back to John, uh, John 14, 6, and we're going to break it down here a little here because, um, I think the way, if you, if you were just listening to what I said, we're going to take, break it, we're going to break down the individual words in the way, truth, and life. But also, I want you to be able to see that what Jesus is saying is, is a trail. The way, truth, life leads to Father through me. So, what is the way? You know, the way is, uh, as we saw it, and we, uh, we probably, you, you may understand or see in the book of Acts, uh, over and over again, the, the f Christians who followed, uh, Jesus were called the way. Uh, and in the original Greek, it literally means a path or a road that you travel. So isn't that kind of cool? The, uh, the word way here, though, is a noun. Isn't that f interesting? Because uh, you would think if it was a, it's not that it's a way, it's a, um, a way to go. It is a way to be. Wow, that's pretty good. I don't know who just said that. You did. Hey, be quiet. Stay out of this conversation. Anyway, so 
when Jesus is saying, I am the way, he literally means it's a, he's, it's a noun, person, place, or thing. This is a path, a journey. This is a manner of life, an action or a custom. It's a method to follow. And it is a method to follow the person that he is. So, how is he the way? Well, we know through what happened in history is Adam was the first man. Adam sinned and fell. Uh, at that point, sin was introduced to the uh, to the universe, to the world, to uh, to uh, to us as human beings. Our nature changed to that from uh, a nature that could relate to God to a nature that was in war with God. So, the path that he set was one of sacrifice. Jesus came and became the second Adam. Truly, when he was born. Like Adam, he was born, Jesus was born alive without the nature of sin. He was born both God and man. He was not born like the rest of us, where we had a nature that was uh, at war with him that had a sin nature. He was born without that nature. He was born with the God nature, because he is God. Um, So... We take that idea of him being born as a sinless individual who then decided, who then took on the sin of the world, was put up on a cross, and was crucified. Go back to what we were talking about with the Passover. He became he he went into Jerusalem. Became they they talked to him. They questioned him for a week, and at the end of that week, they put him up on a cross. And by doing that, they said, you're the perfect sacrifice. Caiaphas even said it at one point in one of the scriptures. I'm I'm thinking it's in John. He said, one should die for all. And that's exactly what Jesus did. In order for all of us to survive, he had to pay that price. So he died on the cross, but it didn't stop there. He then rose again in order to seal and tell us that what everything that he said and everything that he did and every thing that became um, him was the way. So we have this way now where the veil's torn down. Uh, there's a whole description in Scripture of where uh, at the, the time of Jesus' death that the veil in the uh, uh, temple tore in half from the top to the bottom. What that did was that veil signified in the temple, it had three different parts, the, the outer, inner, and the most holy of holies, and, and that that's, was separated by a veil. Uh, that kept mankind's sinful nature out of going into the presence of God. Well, when Jesus sacrificed on the cross, at that point, that veil was torn. We now had access to the Father. So Jesus made that way. Got it? I know it's a lot. I may have to go back and listen to it just to understand what I just said. So, Let's go from there. We now know that Jesus has made a way. He has made the way, the only way. It's not a way. It's the way. Uh, And now we go to the next one. And I am the truth. So what does it mean when he talks about truth? Because, you know, there's, again, I I think at one point... um, uh, one of uh, during Jesus's trials, one of them said, "What are truths? Mine are, you know, my, are mine different than yours?" Uh, everyone has their own truths, and we believe that it's a huge thing today. 
uh, that everybody should have their own truth and that we should all just be, you know, get along uh, with everybody's truth no matter what it is. But see, the fact of the matter is, is that is not what truth is. And when Jesus says to Thomas, and I am the truth, he is saying that he is the unveiled reality, the basis of an agreeing with appearance, the manifestation uh, essence of matter, the reality of pertaining to an appearance. Okay, there's so, there. Okay, this is very convoluted. I know this is a definition that came out of the Greek, <clears throat> and this is the end of it. Therefore, it denotes the reality clearly lying before our eyes as an opposition to a, uh, appearance without reality. So basically, what it's saying is, is reality isn't. We we don't we look at TV and say, oh well, there's reality TV. But you and I both know that that's not true. Uh, if it's Reality doesn't mean that it's that it's real. It's what the it's what the world's created out of. I know this is getting a little, again, a little convoluted. But when it comes to truth, we see truth through the eyes of the beholder, basically, uh, and that is not what truth is. It's it's the reality of who God is. Um, we see the world as a Facebook page. This is probably a better way to explain it. A Facebook page where you see smiling and happy people, but the reality is, is that our life at home may not be like that. Uh, it's more based on the grind of every day of living, living the, the actual life. Whereas every time they get put a, their phone up and take a picture, they smile. And so we think they're all happy and blah, 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 blah. And that is just not always true. So, uh, reality, the, the truth is, is that it's, uh, it's the unveiled reality of who God is. Uh, not who we think he is. See, this here comes the here comes the tricky part. We've all got some basis to think about God, even if we're um, uh, atheist, claim to be atheist uh, or agnostic. We we still have an uh, ability to think uh, as as a God person, think about a God person, because quite frankly, an atheist or uh, agnostic. Will have eventually come to the conclusion that they are God. Uh, I, uh, in a movie one time, I heard one of the characters say uh, that he was Jesus Christ, and the other person was like, "Well, why do you think you're Jesus?" He said, "Well, because when I pray, I find I'm talking to myself." So, <clears throat> with that kind of ideal, we we see that that would be their truth. Well, there is only one truth, and if I go, we go back to the way. Then we see the way that Je- that Jesus led to the truth of who He is in the Father. You want to know who the Father is? He says it right here. If you want to know who the Father is, look to me, because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That is the reality of life. So, where does that take us to the next part? I know that was very confusing um, about the the talking about the truth. Uh, and I, I, you know, think about it. If you got questions, we can, we can answer some questions about it. It, uh, it's a difficult part to, uh, to, uh, to explain when it comes to the truth of who, who God is. Uh, we, th- again, he's not who we think he is. It's who he in reality is. He is alive. He is active and he has provided the way to, you ready? And Jesus said to Thomas, and I am the life. So Jesus provided the way. He is the truth of that way. And he has provided through those two the life. Uh, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what life has he provided? Uh, going back to the, uh, 
beginning, again with Adam, uh, and what Jesus did as a sacrifice on the cross and provided the life that Adam had originally had, who then bit the fruit and had the fall. Uh, and it was not a life that had, was based on Adam at the time, or uh, Eve, uh, when talking to Adam, portrayed it as a physical life. So, look, I, took, I bit, bit the fruit, and look, I didn't die. I'm still here. And Adam said, oh, okay, well, I'll give it a try. But that is not the the life thing that uh, was God was talking about at the time. Of course, he was talking about a spiritual life. He was talking about our spirit being alive in him. So, let's take this. I am the way, and I am the truth, and that truth, through that way, leads to this life. And it's again, it's a spiritual life. This life is tem- that we're living, this physical life is temporary. We live here for a certain amount of years, we do a certain amount of things, and basically, then we die. A physical death. Adam realized, uh, of course, it was a long time, because he lived a long time back then, uh, that eventually he did die, and it was a physical death. Um, and that, But that's not what this is referring to. He's, it's referring to life and life everlasting. Life eternal is just that. It doesn't end. It, doesn't ha- it really doesn't have a... It has a beginning, but it does not have an end. And God made a way through the truth of who his son is, and he opened that veil so that we could step through and have the life that he wants us to have. That life, again, is based on a belief in who Christ is and what he did for us. So we now can have spiritual life. And he seals that, again, a little bit farther down in John, the book of John. He says, I seal this with the Holy Spirit, who is the helper that's going to come to you. So you will not know through the way, through the truth, and through the life that I am the way to the Father. And that's the only way to get to the Father because he's provided it. No other gods, little g, have ever died for those that worship them. Actually, the opposite is true. They expect those who worship them to die for them. God is the only God who died for us. Again, going back to the, 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 the God that died for the others, it's a little g. So they're worshiping a cow or a tree or whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, you can worship uh, a lot of different things. So, um, but when it comes to the word life, there is a uh, distinct uh, word that's used in, uh, in the Greek. So the word actually is zoe. And here's the, here, I'm going to read the definition to you just as I, I wrote it from, uh, from the, the Greek. Zoe, Z-O-E. Referring to the principle of life in the spirit and soul distinguished from bios, which is physical life, uh, livelihood in which Zoe is the nobler word express, expressing all the highest and best which Christ is and which he gives to the saints. Um, so we have it there. Uh, Jesus has provided the way through his truth and into his life. And you cannot get to the Father except through me. Just real quick point uh, before I end. The There are a lot who say, well, this makes things exclusive. Um, only those who you know, follow this will ever be included in the Christian religion. 
Uh, one, it's not a religion. Being a Christian means to have a life with, uh, with our Savior. Uh, and that, that life is based on, again, Him providing the way, the truth, and then us having that life, that Zoe life. Um, but there are so many that say that uh, the Christian uh, belief system is uh, one that is uh, very exclusive for many. But if you read this, <clears throat> it's exclusive because only one has provided that way, and that's Jesus. Jesus al- offered the sacrifice and then rose again saying, look, I told you, now you can believe me because here it is. Uh, once he rose that again, there was no questioning about him, uh, who he was, uh, who he said he was. Uh, so the, this being an, an exclusive club, so to speak, is just not true. This is offered to everyone and everyone has the opportunity to accept Jesus. Everyone has that ability to see God through the eyes of Christ, through his, his son who sacrificed and then rose again for us. Everyone that's ever lived can do this. This is not an exclusive offer. This is whether it only becomes exclusive if you accept it. If you do or don't accept it. If you don't accept it, then you can't be included in it. It's, it's spiritually and physically impossible for God to, to accept us, except through his son, because he's laid the way. He said, everybody can come. It's open to all of you. Anybody that's had any kind of life, this is here for you. And so you have the opportunity to have that life. So what I'm going to do now is here's the, here's a perfect opportunity for that. And if you know someone that would like to hear this, other than the convoluted way I talked about the truth, uh, <clears throat> we, well, just pass this on because this is an opportunity to accept this gift, which is a free gift, uh, that, that is given, uh, to everybody. This is, there's nothing, nothing exclusive about this. You don't have to get cleaned up to do this. You don't have to figure out how to be better at not sinning. Jesus accepts us exactly how we are because he's already paid the price. You can't pay for something he's already paid for. Uh, so just accept. And it's a really simple prayer. And there's nothing, as Missy will tell you, there's nothing magical about it. This is basically you saying something to God and God accepting you. Because he's, he's ready and willing and he does accept you. Uh, but you've got to recognize that he, that this is the way. So here we go. This is the prayer. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for your death on the cross, for your resurrection. Thank you for loving me. Amen. And yeah, it's that simple. It's that easy. So, if you prayed that prayer, let us know. Um, and if not, let us, don't let us know. Let somebody else around you, your family, your friends, whatever. Uh, cause you have now gone the way, the truth and the life. Thanks everybody. Talk to you later.